Hello, everyone. You're in it. This is Dave Birnbaum. Today's episode is an interview with Laura Buchler. She's CEO and co-founder of Ghost Feel It, which is a startup based in Berlin, focused on helping companies that are trying to build products with haptic features. Laura has a biomedical engineering background and also has worked in the sensor industry. Our conversation ranges from futurism to sensory substitution, applications of haptics, to the idea of neural implants and how we might use implanted devices to create artificial sensations. So I hope you enjoy. Let's get started. Hey, Laura, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? Good. You're back from vacation. I am. Cool. I just came back today. Yeah. You still have your email thing on your... Uh, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll uh, deactivate that at one point. Where did you go? <laughs> um, I went to Mallorca. A few friends of mine went, uh, got married there. Wow. So, cool. Destination yeah. wedding. Yes. Yeah. Nice. And you're like probably crying to be coming back to work. Or are you excited? I think both. Yeah. Um, yeah, both. I mean, it was great because uh, it's a little bit of summer in winter. Um, and then coming back to winter time is, or well, winter, autumn kind of, is uh, not the greatest. Right. But then right, work right. is not worse. So. <laughs> nice. I'm excited to, 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 get, to jump back in. Well, this is a good jumping off point, I guess. It's going to like reset your entire outlook. <laughs> so, ghost, feel it. What is that? First of all, wait, before you even say anything, I love the name. It's bizarre. Like, it's not like a usual name because it's like ghost, all capitals, hyphen, feel it. And 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 then a period at the end. It's like the coolest company name ever. I feel like it's the future. <laughs> so wh- why the name and what do you do? We wanted to have something that is all about the sense of touch. And we thought ghosts play into that. Basically, there are two meanings behind it. The one is ghost is some, a ghost is something you can feel, but you cannot see and kind of emphasized by the fact that we have this feel it in the end. Um, and the second thing is, I don't know if you've seen the movie or the anime Ghost in a Shell. I, I love that movie. We were just talking about that yesterday, actually. That's a funny thing you bring that up. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. So basically in that movie, you have the soul of a person trapped in a machine. And that's kind of what we intend to do is bring back or bring a little bit of a soul into machines by making them perceivable from the humans. Right. So that's kind of like the idea of the company name. So very broad, you know, like, but then uh, also Ghost is actually a quite good name because people can simply remember it. Right, right, right. What I've experienced at least. Yeah, for sure. Ghost feel it. But is ghost feel it or it's ghost? Let's get it right. Um, it's ghost feel it. It's right. ghost feel it. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. Too many ghosts out there. Yeah, your SEO would be difficult. <laughs> Let's back up and hear a little bit about you. What's your background and how did you wind up starting this company? So I originally studied biomedical engineering, or I studied engineering science and then went into biomedical engineering and then started to work for a sensor company. And realized that sensors is the senses of machines. And I was a bit disappointed at that point because it's gathering all these data 
and we never did anything with them. I mean, obviously, we were like a supplier for sensors in a bigger context. So every individual company made something with those data. But I was always more interested in the output, like what can you do with those data? And really good friend of mine from school went a very different way. She studied psychology and then went into neuroscience and then studied industrial design after. And we always kept in touch and kept talking during our individual journeys and realized that we complement each other quite well when it comes to combining, let's say, technology and psychology. So she had this idea of uh, recreating uh, the feeling of a prosthesis by simply representing the sensor data that you can gather in the prosthesis and represent it on somebody's back. And I told her at that point, well, that sounds technically possible, but I don't think the brain can do it. And she said, yes, of course, the brain can do it, but I don't know if the technology can actually do it. And um, I think that's the starting point of the journey that we have been on the last two years, proving each other right, that technology can do it and also the brain can do it as well. So you've been prototyping at this point? Have you released anything yet? No, nothing that we can at this point talk about. Right. But we, so we do proof of concept prototypes where we use the sense of touch in a human machine interaction. So we, we look at use cases that would most likely benefit from having the sense of touch in their communication channel from the machines to the humans. And that's what we are trying to realize uh, and making a really thought through haptic interface and at the same time bringing all the people together that actually work on it. So having somebody to look at the psychology point of view, having somebody looking at the technology part, uh, the software part, the product part, or basically the CI of the company that releases it and so on. So you're kind of bringing it all together. Mm-hmm. So you, you're doing this consulting work. So you're kind of like a, you're a haptic integration services company right now, but you have a vision to create this this prosthetic device that would let people have extra sensory experiences. Yeah, yeah, that wraps it up really well. I mean, right now we're mainly doing the consultancy work. As an outlook to the future, we're trying to substitute us by using different um, machine learning algorithms that can interpret well the things that we're currently doing it would be great if somebody like if a machine could just do it without actually consulting us as people Mm -hmm. right okay so let's get into that in a minute because that's super interesting just before we get there so your consultancy right now i'm curious about the challenges that you're facing to integrate haptics i know that it's really reliant on a full stack solution, right? Haptics is everything from the material of the actuator to the actuator Mm. to the way it's driven, uh, the interface to the operating system, the interface to the user, the design. I mean, anything goes wrong there and everything kind of can fall apart very quickly. I'm curious about your experience there. Are you considering all components of the stack in-house or do you go outside for some of them? Do you have certain ways you like to work versus others? Do you have tools that you use? How does all that work? So basically, we don't start from scratch. So we work with available actuators that you can get. I mean, of course, you have to know what is out there in order to to adapt it to the different situation, what you want and what you need. Like what you said, 
what type of actuator is it and how do you integrate it? And do you integrate it, for example, in a textile or in a more solid uh, material? So that's all things that you have to consider while you're looking at it. We, like I said, we're not really producing anything in the, let's say, like in a serial production manner. We look at the concept and how does this concept make most sense and how can we actually look at all these different angles and make a really well-functioning haptic user interface together with all those components. Do you have like a go-to tool chain or workflow that you've established or is it kind of custom for each client? Yeah, so that's kind of something that we are optimizing at the moment. We have always started by looking at the company and their biggest pain points. And then going from there, what use case would be most important to look at? And then how does haptic fit into this? And how can we make a haptic interface that would solve that problem that you're experiencing? Because that's the way that we found most useful for our customers as well. Right. So it's a user experience approach. Is that fair to yeah. say? I see. Okay, yeah. cool. And one of the things that we mainly experienced as one of the biggest hurdles is um, for people to actually consider haptics as an option. Because right now, everyone is looking at auditory and uh, visual interfaces, but only a few people are actually considering haptics. Mm. And so is that changing at all or not really? From my experience, it, it seems to be changing a little bit. Like we used to have to sell the idea of haptics more than we do now. Now it's like people kind of come to us knowing that haptics is important, but they don't know how to deal with that. Whereas in the past, we had to explain what the word meant and go back. Oh, it's like <laughs> Greek for touch and it goes on and on, right? So yeah. um, I feel like that's changing on our side, but I don't know if that's your experience too. Um, maybe, mm. maybe it's not evenly distributed, this kind of new interest. I think it depends on the industry as well. Because if it is an industry that has previously touched on haptics before, then yes, like companies know it, they want it, they just maybe don't know how to do it. Well, if you go into other industries uh, where it's a new topic, then of course you kind of have to do the groundwork first. What are those industries, like one versus the other? Mm, so for example, one that we found has very big potential is the medical industry. They're very interested and they would benefit a lot in some use cases if they would use haptics. But at the same time, um, maybe also because it's quite scattered on who produces which medical device, they have not always considered the sense of touch as an option for a human machine interface. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because the medical industry is at least more familiar, I would think, than some other ones, right? Yeah, uh, I would say like the one industry that is mainly focused on it is consumer electronics and possibly gaming. So that's the mm. industries where everyone knows what haptics is and how to use it and, or not how to use it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then automotive and medical is industries where it's less commonly perceived as an option, but they know it exists. Mm. And then there are other industries where they don't even bother. Yeah. So we talked a lot about also about, um, logistic processes, production sites, things like that. And that's where you have to actually do loads of groundwork, which also takes a very long time. And you have to convince a lot of people before you can actually start a project together. So that's kind of a very long term uh, oriented, which is something that we are not at the moment focusing on. Is there anything that you've worked on 
that we have heard of or will hear about that you can talk about? So we are mainly focusing on the automotive industry at the moment. Hmm. Automotive and prosthetics um, is kind of the two paths that we have been uh, most active on. Um, I think within the next half a year, you'll probably hear something coming up from Ghost Feel It in one of those sectors. That's exciting. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay, so in, in the meantime, are you still spending time on your prosthetic device? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are in a B2B focus, also talking about how we can integrate it into, into prostheses. Right. But that also goes hand in hand with how fast our uh, customers, so the prosthesis companies, are actually working on the projects. Sure. Yeah. And then you have to get medical certification and so on. So it's kind of long process. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I love about the worldview of Ghost Feel It is this idea that you can use haptics to extend human capability in some way, whether it be to extend it by making up for like a deficiency of sensation or like the lack of a limb, or even to add a capability beyond what people can normally do. This idea of human enhancement, it really resonates with me because I think we're kind of on the cusp of making that a possibility where you're going to be able to take sensor data from phenomena that we cannot perceive, present them to the body in a way that is totally intuitive. It will be integrated into the brain uh, in such a natural and ready way that you're just going to have the experience of having more senses available to you to evaluate your environment. And so that's a, a really, really exciting topic. Could you speak through like how... How did you arrive at the design that you have? Or maybe you could explain it. So there's there's actuators on the back, and then you have sensors somewhere on a prosthetic limb. Is that it? And how, how does the mapping work? Mm, it's very use case dependent, right? If you talk about a prosthetic limb, for example, mm-hmm. you would have pressure sensors um, and finger bending sensors somewhere included into the prosthesis. Because that's the two main things that you actually want to experience which stage is my prosthesis in and how hard am I grabbing something. So in order to know, to have to adjust my grip, if I want to hold something heavier or will I break the grape or whatever I'm grabbing. In order to get that feedback loop, there are many possibilities on how you can do it. And like a simple mapping of, let's say you have 10 sensors and you would have 10 actuators on your back would already work. It's just that it's not the most intuitive way of actually learning it. And the brain is possible to basically interpreting different patterns and interpreting them in an abstract way and you would still know how they felt and what what is meant by it. And that way you can reduce the time that you would need in order to actually learn what a motion meant or what a a pressure uh, on, on a finger meant without having those okay, now three motors are on because three fingers are touching Mm -hmm, the glass. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's a lot of perceptual psychology research that's going to inform the design as you move forward. Exactly. Yeah. And like the idea behind this is, I mean, in the prosthesis use case, everyone can already see how this would make sense. But if you go into a different industry, you would maybe say like, why would I need this? But the idea behind this is that you can intuitively interpret those patterns to actually mean something. So for example, 
you could make people automatically look left or right just by playing different types of patterns on your back right. or arm or um, or different body parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they would not maybe know to look left or right the first time they used it, but they would learn really, really quickly if you designed it well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So is there any way we can double click on this or I don't know how much you're able to talk about because I know that, you know, you're still not in stealth mode, but you're pretty early and you're, you're doing confidential work. Is there anything more you can say about prosthetics and how you're approaching that problem more specifically? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know how much I can actually uh, talk more into depth about that. No worries. I get that vibe. <laughs> okay, so Ghost in the Shell, awesome movie. And I think it took place in the 2020s, actually, or like late 2020s, I'm pretty sure. Maybe 2030s, but it's not that far away, right? Yes. Um, yeah. We'll all live through it. Yeah. So we're almost there. <laughs> what do you see in the time frame ahead of us for haptics and kind of next generation human computer interaction? What, what's that going to be like? Is it going to be like the movie? I think the movie is painting a quite rough picture of what could happen. I see that people and machines are in a symbiosis in the sense of the idea of, let's say, our work life, for example, is not that, oh, I have a job and I go there eight hours a day and then I go home and the next day I go to my job again, just like this is my purpose in life. This will all shift towards a perspective where every human will try to pursue what their interests actually lie in to have personal fulfillment. And machines will, for one, enable that in, in a combination with, with a government setup where um, nobody actually has to worry about their existence. Also because machines will be able to actually replace a lot of humans, which is not a threat, but actually an opportunity that we all can take and, and can grow as humans, as people in it. So that has nothing to do with haptics in general. But if you look at how machines and humans will interact, not only replace in, in a, like a work context, but also how we will interact, I don't see a pure display and I also don't see voice commands or, or things like that. I feel a multimodal way of machines and humans to actually interact and to properly understand each other. Because I think right now, I mean, we can get on but I don't think you have this proper communication channel on all levels as you should. That's where I think haptics will make a big difference because it will make things feel a lot more natural, a lot more intuitive, um, and a lot more understanding than what machines are usually capable of. Yeah, I mean, it seems that some kind of interface with the body is going to be essential for a couple of reasons, right? I mean, one, that's how we operate and communicate. So if we stray from that, anything we do will be somehow unnatural on some level and we can make up for it. We sense shape and, and size with our, with our bodies and our eyes. And so we can display shapes on a, on a display, but it's never going to be quite the same as interacting with the physical world. And so the word haptics, if you just mean it to include all physical interaction with machines, then it's obvious that that's going to continue to play a role and, and a greater and greater role. It's also interesting to think about the other side of it, which is to imbue AI with a sense of space and physicality may make the AI more able to relate to us. 
You know, if you build、mm. intelligent machines that have no physical constraint and no physical needs, maybe that's part of the alignment problem with AI. Where you know, if they can't relate to our need for physicality, then they may just run over it accidentally and、yeah. um, either not relate to people or totally divorce from human value and human needs, or or worse. So it's kind of cool to think about that symbiosis, where you know we can communicate through sensors and through our bodies with machines, and then they can communicate back to us through haptics, and that's going to be what glues us together in this meaningful way that keeps us from diverging in our interests. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Cool. Well. You're going to be a smart haptics this December,、yes. which is cool because it's where weird people like you and me get to meet the <laughs> the, the people in industry from big companies that also have haptics groups. What are you going to talk about there? Basically, it's about how haptics can be used to enhance the human perception. So basically, what we already talked about or touched on earlier, because when I first learned about how、uh, you can use the sense of touch to give Somebody a new, a new sense. I don't know. Blew my mind, and I think that this psychology aspect of things is not represented enough in a lot of a lot of fields, not only haptics, but that it should be considered a lot more to just make things more more natural, make it more use of it, basically, and that's what we are trying to do by talking not. Only on, on on smart haptics, but also different conferences, mainly in Europe so far, to show people what haptics can actually do, and inspire people to also aim for a use case where it can be used to its full potential and can be used in in a way where the psychology plays a bigger role in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have a, a reference experience that you share when you're trying to convince people? Like it could be yours or someone else's, or or do you talk about something like? You know, imagine a glove where you could grasp an object.、Mm. What I really love is a company called Neurosensory with David Eagleman. You probably know him. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure. I mean, he's what you—he's who you think of when you think about this kind of idea of extra human senses.、Uh, exactly. For sure. Yeah. And that's—I mean—that's where you start, right? I mean,、uh, substituting senses. That has previously been lost,、mm -hmm. and this is—I mean—what they do is is basically focused on sensory substitution. But the idea behind this can be applied not only to enhance already existing products, but also to create new senses, as we as we talked about earlier. And so far, I've not seen a product where you have been using that effect in. I don't know for the wide public, and I wish I would see something and I could refer to them and create a product where、uh, where you could create a new sixth sense for radiation exposure or something else where it makes sense in that use case. You know?、Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's kind of our goal. Sure, sure. And we're we're entering an era now where wireless networking is getting so powerful. We have lower latency coming out with 5G down to I think one to five milliseconds,、mm -hmm. which is a critical number for haptics because it means you can have a gesture in the loop and you could actually have something far away moving, and you have a sensor sense that movement and then you can feel it in real time and you can、mm -hmm. affect it in real time back. 
And so I'm wondering, what do you see with um, the tactile internet, as it's sometimes called, as we move outdoors and you know away from offices and labs and haptics becomes something that you can take with you and you can wear and is always working. Are there any particular use cases that are exciting to you? I am excited about most of those things because that means that you don't need an expert on site. This is what comes to mind when I think about it. I mean, of course, it's also great if, for example, I want to move my cup of coffee under a coffee machine while I'm still in bed. I mean, that was great. But it's something that just to play with that idea. But um, what I think is really great, what I said with the, with the experts, because if you think about, for example, robotic surgery, right now you can have surgery in the same room or in the next room moving joysticks on your remote-controlled robot, and that can basically do the surgery in the human using intuitive surgical instruments um, or other robotic surgery robots. But with that idea, you can have remote surgeries where somebody is sitting in London in their office and doing a surgery in somewhere in Africa. And that's where it gets really re relevant and very exciting. And I mean, you can do, you can imagine the same things like a Mars robot driving around and being controlled from Earth, you know? Yeah. So you have an expert everywhere you need to. Yeah. The, the, the robotic surgery or remote surgery use case always comes up. I think it resonates with people because it helps you know it's like yeah um, we could democratize access to this highly skilled individual to help people live longer better more fulfilling lives healthier lives so that always comes up and then if you look into the way 5g is actually going to roll out it's maybe going to be possible in some cases but it's not as cut and dry as maybe the marketing makes it sound <laughs> especially because that low latency will only occur or be available in certain markets and regions for a mm. long time and so what you're going to see first is these areas that have 5g coverage within them that is super fast so it's almost like in the next few years two to five years 5g is going to be wi-fi speeds without having to log into public wi-fi like mm -hmm. that's how we're going to experience it you'll be in the airport and you'll actually have like a really great 5G connection and you'll just be like, oh, good, I, I don't have to log in anywhere. And, and that's disappointing because, I, I, you know, when I first got into this, this interest of 5G and the tactile Internet, I was so excited for it. And I, I still am, but it's just going to take a little bit longer, I think, than some of the hype indicates. And then eventually maybe the robotic surgery, maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, no, I, I love the idea of reaching through the Internet and affecting something because to me that's one of the inspirations for getting into haptics was this idea that if you have your body online and you can reach through a digital network and move something and feel it and it can move you back then it's almost like you have digital limbs or tendrils right that are going through the <laughs> internet your body yeah. your body's boundary is now the size of the network right with of course, mm -hmm. with the latency constraints and everything else. And I mean, that's a fundamental difference to the human condition. Like now our body doesn't end at the at the boundary of our skin. It can extend across digital networks. It's, that's huge, you know? Yeah, that's true. And so it's really inspiring. And then you add that to the idea that you could also have inputs coming into your body that, like you were saying before, that may be outside 
our range of perception or normal perception. It's being mapped mm -hmm. down in, into our perceptual can. Actually, that's a good question. So what do you think about um, Neuralink and brain computer interfaces? Is that going to be part of the story here? Or are we, are we always going to be mapping signals to existing sensory inputs for the, for the foreseeable future? For the foreseeable future, those connections directly to the brain will be hard to, to realize for the wider public. I understand that it has a big uh, attraction that you actually implant a chip. You can have all those feelings and you can have all those stimulations to your brain directly without using the, the actual senses that we have been given um, when we were born. But mm -hmm. I think the surgery part that is necessary to get there is a big boundary that will limit how many people will have it and the extent on what we can maybe use it for. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just my idea that, or something that in the next 10 years we'll probably, we'll experience people having those neural links and, and different chips in their brains. But I don't think it will be a wide public scenario. Yeah, I mean, it almost seems like there's obviously going to be side effects to any kind of implant. And so yeah. the benefit has to far outweigh the, the danger exactly. and the side effects for some people who are, disabled or have some deficiency, it might be worth it for people who otherwise don't need it, probably wouldn't take the risk. And besides, we have all of these interfaces available to us, our nerve endings and our, exactly. our hearing, our eyes. And so, Why not use yeah, them? Yeah, yeah. And they're pretty high Because bandwidth. what's their, exactly, what's their uh, negative effects when you use them, you know? You mm -hmm. can say maybe you have the latency, okay, I, I get that because the sensations first have to get from your nerve endings to your brain. But I think the, the bandwidth on what you can actually transmit for them is still quite high. And the way that it is perceived, in, in my opinion, can still feel more personal than something simulated in your brain would feel like. The idea behind this is also that using the sense of touch or also possibly other senses, that you don't have to actually concentrate on them. It's kind of like when you're wearing shoes, I mean, you don't think about your shoes except when they're hurting or when somebody mentions them. But of course you feel them, right? And now that I mention them, you probably also think, oh yeah, of course, still wearing shoes, you know. Mm. Um, and why wouldn't I? Because I always knew I was. But you can subconsciously process those information. You're not constantly thinking about them. And that's a big benefit. And I think it doesn't have to be always on the forefront on your, of your mind. You can just have it subconsciously processed and still understand what is going on around you. Yeah, sure. So beyond vibration, do you guys work with other haptic modalities besides vibration or, or do you plan to? And what are the different use cases for the different modalities of haptics? So far, we've been mainly focused on vibrations because it's the easiest accessible and also cheapest at this point to actually integrate. I'm really excited about all the other ways of haptic interfaces um, especially when it comes to mid-air haptics or, or, or also force feedback for some applications. And I think it really depends on what you want to transmit and what you want to show and what the setup is. And you can find the best of those technologies for the use case that you want to do. I mean, just because we're only doing, only doing vibrations at this point doesn't mean that I would encourage people to actually go to that point. It's more that the people that we work with uh, wanted to work with vibrations, and that's why we're doing it. 
not because I'm saying this is the best way way to do it. Sure, sure. All right. Well, um, besides Smart Haptics and the, the talk you're doing there, are there any uh, milestones upcoming that we're looking forward to? Yeah, so we're currently working on a software uh, that would allow easier prototyping, even without our participation in it. So that's something that we'll make available some beta testing for some of our customers and some users who are interested in it, just to see how actually playing with the interfaces and how to make those interfaces would be uh, even made easier to use. So that's something that's coming up. We're also fundraising probably by the end of the year. We'll probably start that to scale up our speed a little bit. Um, Yeah, so one of the proof of concept projects will probably be done by the beginning of next year. And then I can more openly talk about it. Oh, great. Okay, (laughs) well, then we're going to have to do this again soon. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, um, are you active online? Is there anywhere we can find you? Yes, you can find us on LinkedIn or Facebook. When you look for Ghost Feel It, or you can follow myself on both of those channels. Yeah, that's basically how we how we communicate at this point. Cool. All right, Laura. Well, thanks very much. It was an interesting conversation and uh, looking forward to learning more when, when you can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing more. <laughs> All right, take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can find me online at DaveBirnbaum.com. You can support this podcast by subscribing to it, telling your friends and colleagues about it, and by supporting it through Patreon. More information at DaveBirnbaum.com. Beats by Illy MC. The views and opinions expressed in this recording do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of people, institutions, or organizations that the owner or guests may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone, or anything. Copyright 2019, Dave Birnbaum.